Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome to Into Another episode of Crimson Corner. Just as a reminder, this summer we are teasing 22 Kings, which is the song you heard coming in and was our featured conversation last week with superfan and creator Ryan Kirkpatrick. Today, however, we are shifting our focus over to a different music creator. His name is Kenneth Scott. He's one of my really close friends in this industry and a man I admire so much. Uh, Gooby, what's good? Man, what is going on? I appreciate it to the fullest, and I actually heard 22 Kings myself, and my guy did a darn good job with it, man. I loved it, so mad kudos to him. I know, right? I, 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 he told me, actually, uh, in the process of creating this whole thing, that you were someone that he also sought out some... I guess, advice from uh, just because of your familiarity coming up with kind of a Utah football anthem. And and so, you know, in order to kind of connect the dots, let's let's talk about tell me about, you know, what your thoughts were and, and what it's like creating something like that, but also hearing someone else's vision, I guess, and, and having some input on that as well. Man, the creative process, when it comes down to it, is so unique and so cool in a way to, like, kind of be part of the process as well, too, because it's like a, a soundboard. So you're throwing a whole bunch of uh, darts at the at the board and trying to figure out, okay, which one of these are going to stick. And so that's the, that's the beauty in it. And it's also the ugly part of it, too, because you can overthink a little bit. But the beauty in it is, you know, finally collecting all those thoughts, putting it into something that's beautiful, like what's I love the the instrumentation, the live instrumentation sound to it, even the videos, the words that we're saying, um, you know, so it's really impactful. It's something that, you know, I admired when I listened to it because um, you're able to chop up a lot of his lyrics and be able to um, pertain it to a video. And so like now people can actually hear the lyrics. They can also see it, too, because the video that's playing is matching up with it. So it's pretty dope, man. I loved it. Um, I love you know, speaking with other creators and hearing their processes. So it was just overall, you know, pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, Ryan's a very 
talented individual as are you. And uh, it's it's really cool seeing people wanting to get involved with the program like that, whether it's former players, whether it's fans, or I guess even, you know, media people like me on occasion. Right. Uh, but I, I think the passion for Utah football is unmatched uh, no matter where it's coming from within that realm and sphere. So, you know, that that's kind of been a cool development. It's been a cool thing to watch over the years. Uh, but let's get a little more into you and what's going on with you. You've had some exciting things come down the pipeline the last couple of months. Tell us what's been going on. Oh, my God, Michelle. I don't know how much time you have available, but, man, there's so many things going on behind the scenes, which I'm so happy for and can't wait. So one of the first things is obviously people know me for the first book that I did. Um, but right now I'm in the process of creating my second one, and I have a deadline to complete it by October. Or, well, the deadline is the manuscript done. It's August, proofreading sessions and all that. It's supposed to be done within the next so it can be published before the school year. And this second book project is more aimed towards the student-athletes, right, helping them transition from one field to the next. So my story and my journey and my process and taking them through the whole evolution so that if someone reads it from their perspective, they will gain an understanding and it help them along their journey. So that's that, that's that book, so which I'm super excited about. Obviously, the first one was about me. And this one, I mean, the first one was about my mother. Now this one is solely going to be about me. And so with this book, it's going to turn into a curriculum. And so with the curriculum, um, we're going to be able to um, put that into schools so that not only myself, but other professionals, whether it's teaching professionals or what may have you, different athletes, um, can teach this into the school so that the kids that obviously are, aren't quote-unquote the guys that people may look up to, they still will be able to have an opportunity to get to the next level. Um, because let's be honest, you know, there's from you know star players, you got star players on the team and, you know, people tend to just focus on them. But there's other players that there's other options out there, whether it's junior college, NAIA, Division three, Division two, that they can tap into. And so um, we're building a curriculum around there to put the ownership in their hands so they can be able to um, get to the next level. So it's kind of a roadmap. And then from that piece, uh, putting together content for workshops so that we can be able to conduct workshops not only at a high school level, but the collegiate level and also gradu- graduate level. Um, to help the guys transition out of said sport or, you know, if they're in the NFL or whatever, transition out of it to get into, you know, corporate life or if they want to go into entrepreneurship, whatever, right? So it's uh, basically those three. So the book, uh, curriculum, workshop development, and one of the last things which is um, near and dear to my heart is, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to create a docu-series mm-hmm. based off my mother's book uh, around lupus. And so – that's the, that's something super exciting that we're touching on. Um, for, furthermore, details in the future about that, but right now we are touching on that, trying to figure out a docu-series. Um, my business mentor that I'm in touch with, uh, they recently just signed a deal with Netflix about two weeks ago. And so uh, we're going to curate the docu-series, get the manuscripts available so that we can start pitching it to like Lifetime and other stories and shows like that. So with a whole bunch of stuff going on, which I'm super excited about, obviously, along with my music as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, I'm just excited. There's so many key things that's going on right now. And, you know, I'm just putting my head down and getting to working. Now, this actually raises an interesting question that I, as close as we kind of are, I actually don't know the answer to this. Uh, it's been a while since we've, like, really, really talked. Are 
are you still like working like a nine to five job or are you solely in business for yourself these days? You know, so I am in the corporate field, but luckily for me, I'm taking all the skills and the knowledge that I've earned from being in the corporate world, passing it on to myself. So now, you know, I'm still working in the typical nine to five, but a lot of flexibility within my, than what I do, because obviously I'm in the higher end selling and consulting, I'm dealing with Fortune 500 companies and up. So as I'm in these meetings, speaking to them about their business and how we can reduce bottom line and allocate costs to increase their top line, you know, it's actually like an interview process for me to them, you know, asking them like, hey, how do you develop said business so it can reach said, you know, level that I wanted to attend? So basically for me, you know, I've been doing a lot of interviewing with these CEO level people, you know, getting them to like, give me, give me the blueprint, give me the answer so that I can therefore remove myself from the corporate world to focus solely on the business. So that's been a beautiful thing. That is so awesome. I, you've always been a very innovative type of individual. You always seem to think outside the box. And it's really awesome uh, that you are able to come up with this concept to, uh, you know, allow yourself to just work for yourself. And, and on top of that, you do come with a lot of knowledge uh, just from your life experiences to be able to pass that on and make things easier for someone else, which I think is really what the ultimate goal in life should be, is to make the path easier for someone else. That is, oh my God, you hit the the the, the point right on the head right there, making the path easier for someone else. But I feel like after you attain the information, right, the only way you can grow individually and for the whole world to be better is giving the information so that, you know, other people can be able to reach their dreams. Because maybe what you're holding back because you're scared to get the information is, keeping someone from getting to their ultimate blessing. And so, uh, so I always like preach people like, man, whatever trials, tribulations that you may be going through or experiencing, always share it with people because you never know that could be the missing puzzle for them to get to them, get to where they want to be at in life. So that's pretty dope. So one other thing that's kind of come up for you, that's an opportunity to be able to spread your knowledge and, and teach people the things that you know, because of your life experience is uh doing a TED talk. Uh you know, what is the process for getting invited to do such a thing and what made you decide that you wanted to do something like that? Oh my God. Man, you don't understand the emotions that I got when I received that text message saying, Hey, you've been selected to be a part of the speaker lineup. But in regards to getting into a TEDx or a TED talk you know, for me, I'm not going to say it was easy, but I, I took it as a sales job. You know, I, I did my prospecting work, right? I seen, okay, what TEDx events are coming up this upcoming year. And I started reaching out to the organizers, pitching myself to them, getting uh, involved as far as interviewing myself with them. And then, uh, you know, after the interview, telling them what I would like to share, you know, on the talk. And if, you know, what I want sharing, uh, basically coincides with the theme of the of the TEDx event that they're hosting, right, then they select you. So it's a lot of people a part of the process, you know, in regards to, like, wanting to get selected to be a part of the tech talk because it's a huge old platform. You get on one of these, right, your credibility and your, your fees that you may charge now is instantly going to go up now because you have TED as the backgrounding. But the process for me is I just took it in as a sales methodology. You know, I had to understand who's going to be the decision maker, right, learn and research and do some background and also realizing my product, which is myself, 
uh, understanding the target audience and which they're trying to aim for, and then just start, you know, pitching myself. And so that that was easy for me to pitch myself because I understand myself and, like, want to share uh, a unique message. So um, that was the process, really, um, in regards to trying to get a TED Talk. So this event is happening in October for fans in wanting to know when to like listen in or to look for it. So we've got a little ways before this actually takes place. Uh, but it looks like they're having you like do prep and, and practice, you know, how is that going? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the TED talk is October 13th. And, you know, for me, obviously they want you to prep and practice, but I took it one step ahead and I joined Toastmasters to get more reputation, more, more reps in just so I get more comfortable with obviously I'm very comfortable as far as speaking in front of people, but like speaking in front of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, you know, <laughs> it's uh, pretty, it's pretty different. So, you know, I joined Toastmasters to kind of prep me to not only know how to deliver a message, but how to format the message in a way that it's, man, when people hear it, they're like, dang, it's some good take home stuff. It got some good meat and potatoes. You're going to have some appetizers with it, you know, so <laughs> you're going to have a dessert with it as well to take home. So, you know, me taking that one step and doing the Toastmasters is pretty cool. Um, so the prep work is definitely a lot. Luckily, I have about a couple months in order to get it prepped. So uh, that's the beauty. That's a beautiful thing. So um, just about putting the reps. That's really what it is. Uh, that's something that I've talked about a lot, having moved over to what I'm doing. It's a lot more talking. I'm talking way more often, all the time, almost every day. It's not so much putting my thoughts on paper. It's now being able to either record my thoughts like this or do it in more of a TV type thing. And and it's true. It's the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And I've already noticed a difference. So I have no doubt come October, you are going to be so polished and ready to go. Man, and, and that's something that, man, I admire you for that because I was, you know, obviously I see the content that you posted and I love you know, what you post and I, and the frequency, I can't wait till you start doing it day in and day out because people need to hear that. They they need to hear the content that's being spread out there. Um, and especially you, you kind of blazing the trail, right? You're a woman in the sports industry, right? And so I love seeing it. Like to me, you're looking, to me, you're following the footsteps of like Holly Rowe or somebody, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that's pretty dope, especially coming from your end. Oh, for sure. I, I would love to be ultimately compared to Holly Rowe. <laughs> that would be an amazing jump, an amazing feat. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about what have you decided what the premise of your TED Talk is going to be? And can you give us a little sample? <laughs> ah, OK. OK. You're trying to get the juice before the thing. OK. Um, but not nah, so the theme of, of the TED Talk is it's not you then who, if not when, I mean, if not now, then when. And so basically for me, you know, when I'm thinking about it is, um, you know, recognizing your gift, utilizing your gift, you know, to ultimately leave a blessing. And so basically I'm going to tie in that as far as the main theme. And so obviously I'm going to pick a, a story that relates that, that can connect. Um, but that's, that's really what it is. That The, the talk or the message is going to be centered around, if not you, then who, and if not now, then when. It's basically what I'm be talking about is, you know, recognizing your gift, utilizing your gift so that you can be able to leave a blessing, not only for yourself, but for your family, for your community and for future generations. That sounds an awful lot like uh, Russell Wilson and Sierra's 
initiative. I think it's if not you, then who or or something along those lines. Do you know if there's any connection to that or is that just coincidental? Yeah, I don't know if it's any connection because the lady's just from Dallas, Texas. So I'm not sure was too much connection. Probably is. I'm not sure. But uh, but yeah, from all I know is she was like, hey, this is the theme of the thing. And this is how we're, we're going to roll with. <laughs> so with this TED Talk coming up, how can fans uh, be prepared and ready to listen to that? I, I believe, you know, with every TEDx talk is going to be uploaded to YouTube. So right after the event. I believe it's probably going to be about a month or so after they get the edits corrected and things of that nature. Um, they're going to send it off to TED Talk so they can upload it into the, the YouTube platform so that everybody can go ahead and view it. Um, obviously, I will be um, posting it on my, my social media pages at Scott underscore two, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. And also, uh, throughout it all, I'm going to be uh, I'm trying to get into developing more content, me and myself, because Andre Lewis talked to me about it, like, bro, you need to put some more content on there. Like, post more, post more. So I'm starting to get comfortable with posting more. So um, you'll also be seeing, like, you know, me, like how you said, you know, getting in front of the camera, maybe delivering a word or a message or whatever, um, you know, in, in, in lieu of, you know, preparation of the TED Talk. But as far as the actual TED Talk, it will be probably – it's going to be aired October 13th as far as live, but as far as the, for viewership, it's probably going to be a month after after they do all the edits. Okay. So, I mean, everyone needs to be on the lookout for this because I know it's going to be really good because it's you doing it and you are just fantastic at everything you touch, I feel like. <laughs> you know, it, you have an interesting background where you were, I mean, largely raised by women single mom but also your aunts uh your grandmothers they were all heavily involved in how you've turned out and now you have two little daughters that you're raising talk about how you feel about female empowerment and uh, just having the ability to know that you can do whatever you want to do you know what's crazy man like you said raised by a majority of women, like women. So all I've known my whole life is empower women, caring for them and nourishing them and seeing their value of uh, the, the things and items that they possess that helped me get to where I'm at. And, you know, having my daughters, you know, I'm trying to impose those values in them too, right? as far as being very confident in themselves, you know, walking with such confidence to where they don't need uh, a man in there, like you know, what I'm saying, of course, I like, you want them to get married or whatever, but like have that such confidence and valueship in their life, knowing that they can do anything that they set forth to do. That's why, you know, for instance, I, I use you as an example, man. Like the way you came through, and regardless of like all the letdowns or whatever, and you stood strong through it all, and you still kept it like progressing and kept going and kept going throughout the doors being knocked out, whatever. And now look at you, like I love the the intrinsically motivation inside of you. And so as far as getting to where you need to be in life or where you want to be. And so those are like the values that I took from like my, you know, the women in my life. And like, as far as being, you know, showing strength, being faithful to your journey and, and persevering through everything. And so those are the same things I try to teach my daughters um, being a father of two. What, what are their personalities like, you know, right now as, as they're kind of younger and, and figuring out who they are? so man it's it's weird but like my daughters are like the polar opposite of each other like here you have brooklyn who's the oldest 
And if she sees you, you know, her have a cut, she'll be like, oh, you okay? I'm like, oh, let me kiss you for you. You know, very empathetic, very sweet, very but, – but my oldest one, my, my youngest one, oh, man, she's like – man, she got the – she got attitude. Like, <laughs> she she a boss. Like, she like – like, if I had to, like, really put it in a way, I would say Brooklyn is more of like a Venus, you know, leading the way, trailing the way, and then, like, Kinley is like my Serena – like she has that, like both of them have that it in them, but like it's something about Serena that is just over the top. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I still like not saying that Brooklyn don't have it, but like you can see it in Kinley early on. Like it's just that that she has something within her that's just I don't know. It, you know, it's just beautiful, and I can't wait to see when they grow up and how it's gonna really pan out. But you know, I love them equally. It's just that you can just see it, and you know, Brooklyn is just the ultimate sweetheart. You know? Yeah. Um, and she's a creative mind too, which is crazy. So Brooklyn, she loves drawing. She loves writing. She she's like literally the creative, like split image of me. That's what she loves. She loves reading, uh, all that. And Kelly, uh, not so much. She's more of like the physical type. She likes to like get rough and stuff like that, you know. And so it's it's cool to see the different traits in the different, uh, you know, kids. You should uh, get together with Matt Asiata and have a uh, Kenley. Uh, shadow his daughter Shawnee, who is I a little bad a. I mean that that girl is like trucking boys out on the rugby field, and it's Man. kind of amazing. <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome. That's dang. Now that's awesome. I thought you was about to say the volleyball one. The, his kid that is in volleyball. Well, is that the same one? That's on the no, no, that's a different one. I mean, she's pretty awesome too. But there, there is something about Man. Shawnee that just makes me smile ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> man, I love that family dynamic, man, especially how they rallied after the son, you know, got shot and stuff like that, man. That that family is that that family is good. I love that family. Yeah, they they are tough. They are definitely tough. They are a family that does not take no for an answer. It really kind of fits into the Utah football spirit. I feel like uh, most of you guys have mm-hmm. in your in your own ways uh, this. Right just ability to overcome whatever is faced for you. And, you know, I certainly watched that with you throughout your many, many years with Utah football. You were like the Bryn Covey before Bryn Covey was Bryn Covey. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, let's talk about the resiliency of this team and, and how that stems from the characters that always seem to be involved with it. Because I think, last year was just this big kind of crescendo. It was like the ultimate of what it is to be a Utah man, uh, having to get through two deaths of teammates. And I mean, just about make it to the absolute highest point you possibly can in college football, New Year's six bowl game, uh, the Rose Bowl, no less. Wasn't playoffs, but it was it was right up there in terms of prestige. Man, you are totally right. And it comes down from the head, man, you know, uh, Coach Witt. <laughs> man, I the program, like, literally, I asked Coach Witt, I said, man, when are you going to write a book? Like, because I know, I know that book will have so many powerful messages in there because the, the program that he's built, it not only helped us, like, on the field, but off the field as well. Because I feel like, man, I could take all, literally all those same lessons and all those same core values I learned on, like in the, the mantras and stuff, and I can transfer it into, you know, life after. And so, like, 
man, like like what you said, the, the football program embodies that. And for us to go to where we were, go through all that adversity, fight through, still persevere, and we're going to continuously climb too. It's a beautiful thing, and that's what our program represents. We don't need all the guys like uh, we don't need all the the the, the bells and whistles like the other programs need. Like we just need a group of guys that trust in each other, that love each other, that can look aside from each other, saying, "I got you, you got me. Let's ride out." And that's all, that's all we need. And if we got that, we're gonna go far, and that's what we've proven over the years. Talk about some of your former teammates, because I I know I've told a lot of these stories. Uh, kind of the story within the story. I I don't think people fully realize just all the little bits and pieces that go on with, you know, a football team. It's pretty incredible. Even I didn't really realize that until I had the opportunity to work with the Stallions and and kind of see what it's like day to day on the inside rather than kind of being this observer on the outside looking in at it. But it's I mean, it truly is really easy to overlook Stories with, like I said, stories within the story, um, you know, things that individuals are having to go through, but they kind of have to work on it, but put it to the side because there's a, an ultimate bigger goal ahead of them. Right. And, you know, you know, one story I always tell people is the uh, the Keith McGill story. That That's an impressive story. Here you have a guy coming out of La Mirada, California, uh, highly touted, coming out of Juco. I believe he was a five star. Right, comes into camp, you know, he's not slated to be the star. He goes through some 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 issues um, in regards to, you know, with the team, don't have that chemistry within each other, the camaraderie. And then there was a clicking point, right? And it, it changed everything for him as far as the trajectory, not only with the program, but obviously where he's going to go ahead of after the program, which is the NFL and things like that. And, you know, typically in the summertime, what we do is a leadership uh, we have a leadership retreat and we're, you know, the leaders on the team, we go, we go to this place and work on leadership skills. And so I believe once we went to that and we got to know who Keith McGill was as a person, not the football player, as a person, right. And understood what his triggers were, what, like everything about him, like what motivates him. You know, one thing I remember what coach Scally said, um, because people, we, you know, we spoke about the perspective that we had on him and like what we thought about him. And, you know, what's funny, like, after we did that, Coach Scally said, well, let me ask you guys this question. How many of you guys know his daughter's name? And everybody looked at each other and was like, dang, because none of us knew who his daughter was. Mm-hmm. He was like, how are we supposed to be a team? How are we supposed to be a family? How are we supposed to love each other? And we don't even know who his daughter, daughter's name is. And I believe, like, that moment, that's when we was like, man, he right. And so once we started loving on him and, and, and really, truly, genuinely cared about him, we cared about him, but we really dove deep into who he was and what triggers him and stuff like that. Man, you got the best out of Keith McGill. He went on to be obviously drafted, played in the league for years, and it truly changed him. And I believe from that conception right there, right, it was applied into fall camp. And then fall camp, we were individualizing to different rules to the groups. And we and literally everybody's getting to know each other, being a family, understanding their backstory, who their mother is, who their father is, who their sister, their brother, literally everything. I believe there was one time uh, uh, someone in the media asked me, I heard you knew everybody on the roster. And tell me one thing about them. And I was able to do it because of those types of things. And that's something that a lot of people don't know about. But, like, our team, like, we truly, genuinely want to get to know you as the person not only just the player, because we want to know what motivates you. We want to know if you are going through tough times, how we can get you back. 
right? So it's one thing to say you actually love somebody. It's one thing to show that you actually love them. And I believe, you know, that's that's a little something that we do differently here at the University of Utah is that we don't just tell you we love you. We actually show you that we love you um, in the, in our actions. And so um, that's just that's just what our program embodies. It, it's, it's an example of people work harder and they fit in better when they feel like they're appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, that's true. It, I, that's an interesting story about Coach Scali. I don't think I've ever heard that story before. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. You know, there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen when Coach Witt retires. And and I think we all kind of know it's going it's gonna to be coming sooner rather than later. Now, what exactly that means, only Coach Witt knows. Uh, but what what do you think about having a guy like uh, Morgan Scally jump in and be the head coach. Man, I don't think we'll miss a beat, honestly. I mean, I mean, obviously there's going to be some type of transition period, but, you know, he is what a coach will be, you know, the same, you know, the same intensity, the same passion, the same love and care, not only for the university, but for the state of Utah. When I mean, you look at him as a player, um, blue-collar type player, you know, got after it, you know, and, and so – you know, I believe his passions and uh, his core values align with Coach Witt exactly the same. And so um, if he steps in, I think we'll be, you know, obviously we'll still be able to do the things we need to do. Um, and then along the way, I don't think Coach Witt is going to just, just transfer out without, you know, kind of being like a like a mentor. So obviously Coach Witt's still going to be there mentoring him all the way through, sort of like how John Pease was. Um, and so rest in peace. I mean, he was a great person. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I think, you know, Coach Scali will step in. I think he'll do great things. Look at Coach Jay Hill. <laughs> freaking killing it over at Weber State. Mm-hmm. Look at Coach Sataki. Freaking killing it at BYU. Right? Um, you know, he he, put in, he changed the whole culture of it. Honestly, like, they got a different swag over there at BYU. And it's because, you know, the little is where we come from, you know, as far as, you know, being under Coach Witt and the things that he possesses. So, I think, you know, Coach Scali Coach, uh, Coach will do great once he steps in. Um, and be able to take the program into a hope, being that um, he's been here so long and understands the process. You brought up some interesting names that are also associated with Coach Witt. Uh, Jay Hill, obviously up at Weber State. Mor- uh, not Morgan Scally. Well, yes, Morgan Scally, but Morgan's still at Utah. Uh, and Kalani Satake. Uh, they've all worked together. You actually got to be around all three of those guys while they were still at Utah or all two of those guys, I guess, when they were still at Utah. Talk about their personalities and what they did for the program while they were there. Oh man. Back when coach Jay Hill was, he was the cornerbacks coach at that time when I was there and man, his energy, he felt like he was still a young guy out there, you know? You know, all the coaches freaking like Coach Rod and Coach Coach Hill before practice, they'll run like a couple miles before and work out in the weight room and then come to practice. I'm like, God, Lee, you do that every day. And so, uh, you know, Coach Jay Hill, he was phenomenal, man. He was a teacher. That's what he was, a teacher on the field and in the classroom as far as the film room. He was a teacher and someone that he could break it down to a simplistic form so that people can understand it and get it. And he was very empathetic. He connected with his players. Um, and truly got the best out of them, right? He had the Brandon Burtons of them. He had the Lamar Chapmans. He had the, um, at that time, um, 
who, who else? I think who was the other corner? But uh, but yeah, he has some good, great corners out there. Ryan Lacey and so forth. Um, and then obviously Coach Sataki got that fire, that passion, that literally. I don't. I know if I ran through a brick wall, I won't get through it. But if Sataki told me and said you can get through it, I actually feel like there's a possible slight chance. That even though I know that I can't get through it, I know there may be some chance of optimism I can't get through it because of, you know, what he told me. And I feel like that's what, what Coach Sataki embodies. Like, he brings the best out of players, right, and makes you feel more passionate, more connected. I don't know what it is about him, but he brings that to the table. And so, um, you know, it's no, it's no reason why, you know, they're, not, they're, they're doing such a great job over there on their end. And even uh, a guy like Coach Schramm, you know, I remember back in the day he was the running back coach. But Coach Schramm, he had a different approach. He will get in your butt to where you want to cry and want to go back home and say, F this, I'm not doing it anymore. But he loves you as well. Like, he will be hard on you, but he loves you. And the reason why he was so hard on you is because he's like, man, I can see your potential, but I want you to see your potential. And if you're not giving the effort to what your potential is, I'm going to get on you because I'm going to be doing you a disservice because you're not reaching your potential like you should be. Right? I shouldn't want it more than you should. Right, and so that's why he was so hard on his players because he seen the potential in them. But he also was he, sometimes he would be very soft with them because he knew you know when you give the the hard the direct conversations, you also need to love and, and show them that you care. And I think that's what Coach Rand provided uh, when he was there too. It it's Utah is such an interesting place just because it's led by great men and it produces great men. Uh, there, there's no, no doubt about that. This is coming from a female that works in this industry. I have had so many other females that work in this industry that have asked and said, you have the best job in all of college football because you're at a place where you're respected. And it's true. Uh, Mm -hmm. you, you can, Mm -hmm. you can see that. And it's not only me that's respected but it's there's this level of respect with any person that walks through that building there's just you respect Everyone. people you respect everybody mm-hmm. uh, yep love it it's it's such a great environment to be in i i'm not saying that just to say that it's really the truth mm-hmm. uh i've heard it so many times you know from former players mm-hmm. that that's what this is i can see it with my own eyes uh, it's not a script I have to be handed. It's just, it is what it is. Utah is legit the real deal uh, as far right. as a solid, good program that wins on and off the field in college football. Mm-hmm. Facts, straight facts. You know, and I, you know, I always tell people, like, as far as Coach Roderick, Coach Roderick played a big part in my career there, too. Like, not only did he recruit me and kept his word when he recruited me, he kept his word when. I was on campus too, as far as, you know, as far as everything, how he treated me, you know, cause you know, coach Rod, you know, he recruited me shoot when I was a sophomore in high school. Cause he, he was recruiting actually this other receiver named Maurice Shaw, Maurice Shaw. He had the same build as me. Literally everything that I ended up doing to be, that was Maurice Shaw. Maurice Shaw was someone that I looked up to when I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior. I even that's the only that's the reason why I wore number two was because of Maurice Shaw. Maurice Shaw, when he was a senior about to leave out, he said, I don't want nobody else wearing number two except for him. Because he's seen that. Literally from our stances, the way we pointed at the receiver, the way we lined up, 
it was literally a replication of Maurice Shaw because that's who I wanted to be like. And so Coach Rod, he was recruiting Maurice Shaw, and he happened to see someone next to him that may potentially be just like Maurice Shaw in the future, <laughs> but at a younger age. It may skyrocket more. And so that's what got Coach Rod interested in me, right? And I was a sophomore, and then after my sophomore year, going into my junior year, I just got lucky enough to where I remember I still got the little thing where I was voted as ESPN top 150 as a sophomore. And so from there, like Coach Rod knew about me even before all that. And then once I started getting recruited, that's why I was able to commit to him so fast because he was there where nobody else was. And even when I got the news in high school about me having a strike fracture in my tibia to where it was either going to put a metal rod in my leg from my knee to my ankles or I have to wear a stimulator for 10 hours a day for 9 to 12 months, which led me to miss the first four games of my junior season. He was still there. Scholarship still standing right through it all. But he still believed in me, still wanted me. And that's why I was like, man, there ain't no other place I'd rather go because I felt that love from the beginning. And that's what Coach Rod, man, he kept his promise from then to my mother, to everybody. He still checked on my mom regularly. My mom loved, you know, because she didn't have to worry about me being out in Utah because he gave her her word. But he gave her his word and, and took care of me. And so I will always forever be indebted with Coach Rod and, and be supportive of him because of the love that he uh, gave me when I um, not only get him recruited, but even after when I was on campus at Utah. And still to this day. Uh, yes, Coach Rod is another one that uh, absolutely deserves some love uh, as far as how he treats his players and and goes about his business. And, and he's doing some great things down at BYU. Uh, another guy doing some great things down at BYU uh, that's come from that Kyle Whittingham coaching tree. Well, Kenneth, I we could keep this conversation going for a long, long time. Really I know good. we could. Uh, I may have to have you back on again uh, to just go over some more of this stuff because you are a wealth of knowledge. But I do appreciate you taking out the time uh, to talk about some of the things you have going on in your life and just some random life things that I think are interesting. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Anytime, you know it. Absolutely. All right, guys, that is Kenneth Scott, former Utah wide receiver, uh, now a businessman, a TED talker, <laughs> a musician. Yes, indeed. Uh, you, uh, you name it, he's doing it uh, and doing it at a high level. Thanks again so much, Kenneth. Thank you for having me on anytime. Have a good one. All right. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of Crimson Corner. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this. In the meantime, until we have our next episode, always remember, go Utes. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. 
What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.